KWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Rotor Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By MJ Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Polyod. By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Rumpy Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios on ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFME Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for this edition of the show. Matt, good to have you back, sir. Well, you know what? It's good to be back. The sun is shining. The grass is green. And I have a rage in my soul about the college football playoff committee. At You know what? No. You know, we're getting into the holiday season. I'm going to show grace. I'm going to show poise with a quiet grace. And de- they're a power five undefeated team, for God's sake. You know what? No, I can't. I can't. I can't do that. No. We got a good show. I'm very much looking forward to talking to Kevin Harris. We've got transfer portals on the stuff about the college football playoff. It's I, How could they screw it up so bad? It wasn't hard. This seemed to actually be an easy year for them to figure. Oh, good Lord. Anyway, I'm good. I'm happy to be back. Seems like some things happened while I was away, but I, I'm I'm very excited to be back. We got a great show on deck for all of you guys tonight. That we very much do. As Matt alluded to, we will, in fact, talk with Kevin Harris. You meet at midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing Buckeyes Plenty of news in the last few days to talk about. They'll be playing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl. That'll be near the end of the month. That'll be December 29th. We'll also talk some Calvert basketball. We'll talk with their boys basketball coach, John Otterbacher. They're going to be taking on Hopewell Loudon on Friday. And we'll also hear from Calvert girls basketball coach, Aaron Sheets. They will also be taking on Hopewell Loudon, but that will be over in Tiffin. That will be tomorrow night. We'll also, of course, talk a little NFL as well. Well, we might not be Physically at the Frickers Inn. Finley stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day. A Frickers pickup from the carryout window. Dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Daily specials are all dining only. Download the Frickers app and find them online at Frickers.com. And, of course, join us for our coverage of high school basketball coming your way over the next few days. We'll have some rivalry matchups over the next few days. We'll have Hope Will Loudon taking on Calvert on the girls' side. That'll be Thursday night. That'll be on Classic Hits 96.7. Friday, we'll have the boys' side of that rivalry. Again, with Calvert taking on Hopewell out, and Matt Brown and I will have that one for you from Bascom. Friday, that'll be on both of our stations. Then Saturday, we'll have a doubleheader of basketball action. Saturday afternoon, a rematch of the Division Three District Finals from last year in girls' basketball. Van Buren will play host to Liberty Center. Tip-off for that will be at around 1.30. That'll be on Classic. It's 96.7. And then Saturday night, we'll have coverage of Fall Story, a girls' basketball. They'll be hosting another new conference pro this time. They will be taking on Maumee. You can hear that around 7 o'clock. That'll be Saturday night on WFOB. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Kevin Harris from Meet on Midfield, the comeback and awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios.
At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners makes sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. The Ohio State Buckeyes did not play in the Big Ten title over the weekend. They will be playing in the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas on December 29th against Missouri. You can hear that on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Kevin Harris, writer from Meet at Midfield, along with the comeback and awful announcing and Kevin let's start with the the Ohio State news we have at the moment learned a handful of players including Kyle McCourt and Julian Fleming would be among those entering the transfer portal did you or some of the guys you work with did you guys see this coming did you know this was coming kind of what was your reaction to uh to that news as it broke um I wouldn't say that we knew that it was coming but I don't think anybody is necessarily surprised that it happened um, I, I think the background here is like, I think to somebody who's like casually watching this situation, it looks like Ohio State has an abnormal number of players that are leaving through the portal. And it's like, oh, what's going on at Ohio State, whatever. Um, and especially when you're losing a starting quarterback. But like the reality of the situation with, in terms of the the regular transfer portal is like a lot of players are going to need to leave, like just straight up um, with the number of players that Ohio State's bringing in in this recruiting class. Uh, the lack of seniors who are going to be graduating naturally um, and the players that they're for sure going to target in the transfer portal, um, a lot of players are going to leave. So um, that wasn't necessarily surprising. In terms of Kyle McCord specifically, um, I I don't think that anybody is surprised that Ohio State is going to go or at least look to go in a different direction at quarterback next season. And the thing was that I think maybe from the outside looking in, people thought that maybe like one of two things happened. Either Ryan Day walked in and said, hey, you need to transfer. Like we're kind of cutting you loose. We're not going with you next year sort of thing. Or Kyle McCord got fed up with like the way things were going at Ohio State, maybe got upset with the fan base that I've seen a bunch of tweets related to like the toxic fan base pushed him out. Neither of those things are true. What happened in this situation was Kyle McCord and um, his family were looking for assurance that he would be Ohio State's starting quarterback next year. And Ryan Day was not willing to give them that assurance. Um, and there's there's several implica- implications here. The thing is that Ryan Day is not going to commit to Kyle McCord um, because, frankly, Kyle McCord was not good enough this year to absolutely guarantee that Ohio State is not going to move on from him and 
um, if, if they have a better option available. And so Ryan Day was not going to lie to him and just say, yeah, 100%, you'll be our starting quarterback next year. The other thing is, this is 2023, that comes with financial ramifications too. And so it's not just a matter of like, will you be our starting quarterback? It's, can you put together a NIL package to um, get me to stay and um, also make sure that I'm the starting quarterback and stuff too? And so there were just several like, several issues where Ohio state was not a hundred percent content at the quarterback position. So no, they were not going to guarantee the spot to Kyle McCord or guarantee NIL packages and that sort of thing. And in Kyle McCord in complete fairness to Kyle McCord, he is now in his last year of eligibility heading into this next season. He has to play. He has to start. And if he's not going to, um, if he's not guaranteed that he's going to start or is not in a favorable situation, um, you know, that's, that's not, that's not great for him or his NFL prospects or anything like that. If he wants to go to the league afterwards. So like, it makes all the sense in the world that after he was not given a guarantee that he was going to start this season and maybe even sounds like they could be favoring an open competition or looking in a different direction, um, that he would move to in a different direction too and transfer elsewhere. So it wasn't necessarily that Kyle McCord was explicitly wanting to leave and got fed up with Ohio state. And it also wasn't that Ohio state was 100% set on, um, you know, kind of pushing Kyle McCord out the door because I, I think like reality is there is a good chance that Ohio state didn't add another transfer quarterback. And um, they just kind of went through the entire process, went through spring and fall practice and Kyle McCord emerged is the, um, the best of the group yet again next season like there there's a real chance of that um, but it wasn't a high enough chance apparently for Kyle McCord to feel comfortable coming back all right and Kev, Kevin I'm, I'm not gonna lie the one that really caught me off guard was actually Julian Fleming declaring himself for the transfer portal I kind of feel like he was lining himself up quite nicely to potentially be wide receiver one next year alongside Carnell Tate and is this just because the class of receivers that are coming in just makes Fleming feel like he really can't compete? Or does he think he might get a little bit sidelined because of some of the other names coming out there? That For, for me, that was one of the ones that really just threw me for a curveball to see his name in the portal. Kind of seemed like a natural succession to Harrison and Ekuba was going to be Fleming and Tate as that one and two combo. Yeah. I, you know, that kind of caught me off guard too, but I understand it. Um, I, I don't think Ohio State, I don't think that's one where Ohio State necessarily like, 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 let's, let's be real. There are players that Ohio State processes and essentially pushes out the door and says like, you're never going to play at Ohio State. You know, obviously that's not true of Julian Fleming. He started the past two years and I was, you know, I, I fully expected Julian Fleming to come back next year, but it kind of makes sense when you actually look at it. Um, he, he's even if he comes back, he would be a starter. A hundred percent would be a starter, but just looking at the receiver composition of Ohio state's room, he's never going to be the guy. He just won't. Um, he's not like, he is a great receiver. I think he's going to have a long NFL career purely because he's an incredible blocker. He's a guy that you never really have to take off the field. Um, a really important guy in Ohio state's lineup this year. And I think they're really going to miss him next year, even if it's not in like the pure receiving numbers, but he wasn't going to get the targets that I think that he would want to really make a splash and put up some, some big numbers before um, heading into the NFL draft. Cause like the reality is that I think he's going to have a type of NFL career um, 
kind of like Noah Brown in all, in a former Ohio State receiver Noah Brown right now. Um, I mean, he's been in the league a long time. Uh, he's now CJ Stroud's one of CJ Stroud's top targets in Houston um, after a long career in Dallas. But like he was not drafted high because he didn't have great numbers. Um, and he just has kind of been like a middling receiver that always gets like a new contract or whatever. Like, but he's he could have gone far higher in the draft had he had a season where he put up bigger receiving numbers. And I think that's kind of Julian Fleming's point. Like, I think he's going to have a long NFL career, but he would really like to have, I don't know, go somewhere else where you can star in the offense and be a thousand yard receiver and let that boost your NFL um, NFL draft, you know, uh, numbers, I guess, because these years at Ohio state with all of this film, it's not going anywhere. You're still going to have that as part of your tape. Um, but I, I think he just wants to go somewhere and be a star receiver. And that's just not going to happen at Ohio state. Um, you know, you got Carnell Tate, you got Brandon Ennis behind him. You've got Jeremiah Smith, who I think is probably the best wide receiver prospect since like Julio Jones that's coming in as a true freshman and realistically could command a lot of targets. I think there's even a chance that Emeka Buka decides to return to school next year. And so like, you've got several wide receivers that are going to be commanding targets with Julian Fleming on the same field um, where he's not necessarily going to be the best wide receiver on the field. And so I think he has a chance to go and be like a one, a, a wide receiver, one wide receiver, two, it pretty much anywhere else in the country. And that just wasn't going to happen at Ohio state. So it was, it was kind of a surprising decision to me, but when you really think about it, it, it makes sense. One thing I totally forgot to mention, because you mentioned his blocking. I was going to say the same exact thing. Uh, you mentioned Noah Brown. I was actually going to take it a step further. I haven't seen a receiver block the way he does since Heinz Ward. So I, I was kind of curious, obviously not maybe hall of fame level comparison. The kid's still only in college, but can you think of a receiver that on Ohio State's roster that really blocks the way that Fleming does right now? Not right now, no. There's there's nobody that is uh, even in really his galaxy as a blocker. And the reason for that is uh, he grew up in kind of a triple option offense in high school, which is hilarious that he was the number one receiver in the country coming out of a, essentially a, a wing T offense. Um, but he, yeah, yeah, he's a great blocker and he always has been. And um, even when he has not been like getting the targets early in his career, um, like the first two or three years of his career, uh, he was always on the field because he was just a, a very reliable blocker. Um, and so like, that's why I think like those, those guys are so important in the NFL. Um, I, I don't think that there's been a blocker of his caliber at Ohio state since probably Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin was a great blocker too. Um, Fleming might be a better blocker than Terry McLaurin, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's a big body and it's really important downfield and in kind of the, the screen game. So they will definitely miss him um, probably more than like the average fan watching the game realizes because his impact on the field is much more than just like catching the ball. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Talking with Kevin Harris, Ryder from me midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing. So sticking uh, sticking with the quarterback spot, who are the guys that they are going to look to bring in? Obviously, there's a lot of names already in the transfer portal. Maybe there's still some to come, but also kind of what does that speak to what Ryan Day and the coaching staff, you know, like about some of the future quarterbacks that they also were okay with letting, uh, letting McCord go a year earlier than we uh, thought he might? 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting situation because I don't think that Ohio State necessarily wanted to kind of I don't think their ideal situation was to just like go in and get a a transfer quarterback. Like I don't think that that is what like they they really wanted to do. Otherwise, they would have just straight up told him like, hey, we got this other guy coming in. You need to hit the portal. And that's not really what happened. So I think they're in a position now where there are several guys who could um, who could potentially make the program better right now if 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 they if they came in. I don't think that there is like a splash guy. There's no there's no Justin Fields, I think, is is what I'm trying to say. Um, there's no guy that like you can immediately bring in and is like a, you know, future first round pick guaranteed sort of guy. Um, there are there are a few that that would, I think, be an upgrade. And I think that they will look at the other thing that I'm that is very important, I think, to kind of the state of the quarterback room is to kind of keep the production on or the quarterback position on schedule. I think that they're going to be looking more for like a one year rental type of quarterback, just kind of either a graduate transfer or a guy that really is in his final year of eligibility or is planning to leave after one year, um, kind of following the Kyle McCord plan uh, so that it doesn't completely disrupt your quarterback room and your quarterback recruiting if you get him in here. Um, so I think that the guys that kind of fit that bill, um, I've, I've seen a lot of talk of Cam Ward, um, the Washington State quarterback. I don't think that he is kind of the best fit or the... Um, guy that they're going to end up taking. I think he has ball security issues in terms of fumbling. I also don't think the offense um, necessarily is a good parallel. He played in a very air raid offense, um, very much not what Ohio State runs. So it would it would be an adjustment on on both parties if they went with Cam Ward. Um, but to be clear, he is like definitely in, in a um, improvement in terms of just pure, pure throwing the ball and um, pure arm talent. Um, the, the guys that so the, the, that's one of the guys that has been mentioned that I don't really think is realistic. Another another guy that I don't think is going to be realistic is Grayson McCall. I don't think that they're going to be going after Grayson McCall. Um, DJ Uyungle, I don't think he is going to go. Um, the the realistic ones, I think, are like the guys that are currently in the portal that I think that they would go after um, is Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback. Uh, I think that he is probably the guy that they would want most. Um, he's a true dual threat guy. Um, and he hasn't had great numbers. He didn't have great numbers this last year, but you got to remember he's also playing at Duke. Um, I think playing at Duke, he was kind of just like the focal point of the offense. And like you saw the way that team kind of crumbled a little bit when he was injured for the for a good chunk of the season. Um, so I, I think he is a guy. He's interesting because it was pretty clear that um, Notre Dame had some sort of arrangement with him before he even entered the portal. Um and like you see that happening when uh, all of a sudden this guy enters the portal and the second he enters the portal, all of these reporters are saying that he's going to Notre Dame. So like that's kind of what happened with him. I am curious to see if Ohio State can change his mind because it seems like he is going to be visiting Wednesday and Thursday to Notre Dame. Um, and I think if if he goes Wednesday and Thursday and doesn't commit to Notre Dame, then Ohio State has a chance there. I think they need to get him on campus. They need to talk to him, um, get him on campus, and uh, we'll, we'll see there. But obviously, he did have a lot of, um, at least early, uh, notion that he maybe wanted to go to Notre Dame. 
So that's something to watch. Um, obviously, I think it kind of changes things for a lot of quarterbacks, regardless of what their plans were when Ohio State suddenly needs a new starting quarterback. So um, that really could change things. Another is KJ Jefferson, the Arkansas transfer. Um, you know, I think he's kind of a, a, a dual threat-ish guy. Um, you know, he can create with his legs. I think he's got a really wonky throwing motion. Uh, it's, um, you know, I, I don't think that's a guy that's going to like, he's not going to go CJ Stroud it and like make the Buckeyes look good in the NFL. Um, but I think that he is an improvement at quarterback. Um, I think that he, he had bad numbers this year too. Um, it was a product of just a, a horrible offensive scheme in my opinion. Um, I was going to say that's more Dan Enos's fault, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was 100% Dan Enos, so um, can't blame him there, and I can't blame him for wanting to leave either. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a very viable option um, who I think they would be very interested in. Another viable option who I'm not sure they're terribly interested in, um, I haven't heard his name realistically, um, is Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think it's a sort of guy that like they would hypothetically want, would hypothetically want to talk to. I'm just not sure that those conversations have happened yet. Um, you know, obviously the Oklahoma transfer, he's kind of a dual threat guy too. Um, he was at UCF before he was at Oklahoma. Uh, it, I just, I don't think that there is necessarily a strong of mutual interest there. Um, I think like the other thing when you're pursuing a quarterback is you want to pursue a guy that wants to go to your school too. And I just haven't seen really anybody linked to um to or any ohio state linked to dylan gabriel in really any sense so um i i think that's a guy who if he wanted to go they would have to entertain it but um i don't think that ohio state's necessarily on his radar uh who's who else there are some other ones oh i guess um some one name that has been discussed a lot that i don't think is realistic is uh dante moore he was former five-star quarterback. He's a freshman at UCLA last year, um, five-star quarterback. Um, he started, you know, a lot of games as a true freshman. Um, and he legitimately was looking at Ohio state late in the recruiting process last year. Um, from what I understand and from what I've been told from people who would know, um, he really gelled with the freshman receivers, Ohio state's freshman receivers, specifically Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes. Um, when they were at the All-American Bowl, uh, kind of before signing day, before they kind of all enrolled, to the point that um, there was some thought that he could leave there and end up going to Ohio State instead. Um, and basically, that would have involved Ohio State committing in a lot of different ways to uh, Dante Moore when they already had Lincoln Keenholz committed. Um, and I don't think that they wanted, they loved Dante more enough to kind of disrupt everything and just pull him at the last minute. But there was definitely mutual interest to start. Um, I don't think that that's realistic now. I know a lot of Ohio State fans might want him, especially he's just like a, he's a kind of a big name. You know, it's, a, it's an old five-star quarterback. Um, maybe some people might be thinking it fits the Justin Fields bill. There's a couple things at play here. The first is that he actually played a lot as a true freshman, and he was not good. Um, I think, and, and not good as being very kind, to be honest. Um, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the entire country. Now, he's a true freshman, and he was playing, um, you know, with 
not great receivers. Um, obviously, there's a reason why Chip Kelly got fired. Like, it wasn't a great situation for him. So I'm not saying that the kid couldn't improve. But if you're wanting, if you're kind of going to disrupt, because the other thing is he is a, a true sophomore. It's his second season. If you bring him in, there is a very real chance that Devin Brown transfers and Lincoln Keenholz transfers, and you're disrupting your entire quarterback room. And you got to make sure if you're going to do that, that this is the guy that you want. Ryan Day was willing to do it for Justin Fields because he knew this guy, you know, he's going to be awesome. And he was. I'm not 100% convinced. Um, and I'm not 100% convinced that Ryan Day is convinced that Dante Moore is that sort of guy. Um, I think that they might even like their quarterback situation normally um, more than bringing in a guy like Dante Moore. So I know there was initial interest. I know that they'll. Ohio State wide receivers might want that move to happen, but I don't think that that's going to happen. So I think the an, another name has been Will Howard, um, the Kansas State quarterback. I I don't think that happens. I I think that that's like a conversation that they're going to have. Um, I, I'm sure that he'll be in the mix. Um, I just I'm not convinced that that's enough of an improvement that Ohio State would make that move. So I think to me the two names right now that I would watch are uh, Riley Leonard and KJ Jefferson um, and Cam Ward. I, I Cam Ward is, is in the mix there too. Um, I think those are the three that are the most realistic. And like I said, I think they would probably prefer Riley Leonard out of all of those if they can get him to not go to Notre Dame. Well, first of all, Kevin, I'm going to give you a brief moment to redeem yourself <laughs> because we're friends. I consider oh. you a friend. I consider you knowledgeable in the game and studious of the game. And I don't know why you had to take away my dreams of Grayson McCall suiting up in scarlet and gray. Yeah, I knew that was like coming. that right <laughs> off the bat. I mean, that was just hurtful. You could have at least buried it a little bit in the conversation as opposed to, oh, yeah, second QB, totally not on the list. Grayson McCall, just watch your dream die, Matt. Watch it die hard right yeah. here in front of you. But, um, in all sincerity, I guess a good follow-up question that would be with this transfer portal, basically being a kind of a glorified free agency and draft kind of rolled into one for college football nowadays. Is there some consideration of maybe that list still has some names out there that maybe haven't gone into the portal yet? Is there any talk or any discussion that you're hearing from some of the other big name programs out there or some of the air quarterbacks that might be in the transfer portal on number two? Just to kind of call it as it is, Ohio State's 2-12 and 12 against uh, SEC opponents as of late. If Ryan Day and company drop it against Missouri, are we talking about a new head coach picking a new quarterback for Ohio State going into next season? No, I don't, I don't think there's any reality where Ryan Day is fired this offseason. Um, but why know. not? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think I think the the true reason why even if he colossally screwed up this season i think the true reason is that gene smith is retiring at the end of the year and you're going to have a new athletic director and gene smith is not going to make a seismic change to the ohio state football program to hand over to um a new athletic director i just i don't think that's realistic i don't think that's going to happen even if ryan day was like nine and three this year. I, I don't think that that would be a change that they would make. 
Um, I think that he would wait for the new athletic director to see kind of what they want to do with the the football program. Um, I think maybe math changes a little bit if a guy like Mike Vrabel or something was like, hey, I want to come and be the head coach at Ohio State. Um, but as long as Vrabel's still at Tennessee and frankly, um, is his seat is warm in Tennessee, um, but not hot. Um, I, I, I think that it's still worth waiting, I guess. Um, I, I just, I, the real reason is like Ryan Day could not really, with the talent on Ohio State, he could not possibly screw up hard enough in this year or the next few months that Gene Smith would fire him before a new athletic director got into Ohio State. I just, I, I don't think that that's realistic. Um, but to your first to your first answer or first question, are there quarterbacks that have not or that are not in the portal yet that could be? Um, and you know, that's interesting. I think the only one who I would think maybe is uh, Michael Pratt, Tulane of Tulane. Um, I think that's a guy who um, Ohio State would look at if he entered into the portal. Um, there's been a little smoke that he could enter the portal. Um, Another interesting name would be Brady Cook, who is hilariously the quarterback that Ohio State is going to face um, against Missouri. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that he is actually going to enter the portal either, but that's another like hypothetical name that's out there. The truth is, like I, I mentioned it, and I've said this about Kyle McCord in the past, is like there are just not a lot of big name, splash, awesome quarterbacks that are in college football right now. Like there just aren't, um, and uh, you know that's part of the part of the issue with Kyle McCord is like, yes, he is a a downgrade from several of Ohio State's past quarterbacks. I think that you could argue he might have been like the worst Ohio State quarterback since I don't know Joe Bowserman. Like it it goes back like pretty far, but at the same time, you look around the country, like it's not like there's a a ton of guys that's like well Ohio State could have had that guy should have had that guy they could have had him instead like it there's not many guys that are just a drastic drastic improvement on Kyle McCord to the same it's not like kind of how I was alluding to earlier um it's also not like Kyle McCord was a drastic improvement over any of these other guys either so like getting in a different guy with more experience and um maybe more veteran you know know-how or whatever um, would probably improve Ohio State naturally, even um, even if like passing ability, like pure raw arm talent is basically the same. Um, but I think that's just kind of the problem is like, if Ryan Day saw a clear opportunity to improve his roster and had a guy like Justin Fields, he would be more than willing to blow up his entire quarterback room to get that one guy. And he's proven that in the past, but that guy just doesn't exist. And I don't think that, that guy like necessarily will exist um you know in in the coming months either like I, I i hear what you're saying but it's like the three quarterbacks this year that you could have done that with maybe like four are like Jaden daniels um michael Penix jr bo Nix, and like caleb williams outside of that it's like who else do you really want you know um and all of those guys obviously are gone. They're going to the NFL next year. Drake Mays, you can toss him in that list too. But obviously all of those guys are gone. It's not like there is a, a guy that is just like hiding out somewhere like Justin Fields was. That was a rare situation. Or even like a, a good starting quarterback that's going to come back next year 
that you could like lure and be like, hey, come start at Ohio State instead. Like there just aren't a lot of like huge name guys that are going to like make a seismic difference in the program, if that makes sense. Talk with Kevin Harris, Ryder from Meet on Midfield along with the comeback and awful announcing here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. Let's transition from the pure Ohio State side of it and just talk about the college football playoff selection. They, of course, named the four teams. We knew Michigan. We knew Washington. Everything else was kind of a guess at that before before noon on Sunday. Wound up being Texas and Alabama as the final teams, leaving out Florida State and Georgia. Georgia, of course, had the 29-game win streak heading into before losing to Bama in the SEC title game. Florida State went undefeated, won the ACC title and was ultimately left out of the playoff. So I'll ask it this way, Kevin. Was it the right call and or was it the correct call to make in your eyes? Yeah, I don't think it was right or correct. Um, I I really struggle with the logic. Um, I, I, I sincerely get that, like I, I get that Florida State was not the same thing without Jordan Travis. I Like I, I get it, but it's not like, Alabama has been particularly awesome this year at full strength. You know, I mean, we are two weeks removed from Alabama almost losing to a bad, bad Auburn team. Like it took a miracle pass on fourth and like 26 and goal to beat that team. And they frankly should have lost that game. And you're telling me that that team with one loss where they already lost to a playoff team, um, the third seed, by the way, in the playoff is unequivocally better than a team that went undefeated the entire season. And like I, I even had been saying, um, I thought Florida State was going to lose without Jordan Travis. I, I thought they were going to lose one of these next two games. I thought they could have lost to Florida. I thought they could have lost to um, Louisville in the in the um, ACC title game. They didn't because they, you know. Um, to their credit, their defense played played strong. They had a good running game. Um, frankly, they had more yards per play against Louisville than Michigan did against Iowa. Um, like they, as, as bad as their offense looked, like it, it was fine and it was serviceable. Like how do you know that they couldn't win a national title with their defense? Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I like, what are we doing if we're not letting... Um, a, a undefeated power five team in the playoff. And I know like the, the injury to Jordan Travis was a, um, a good excuse. But if you look back a couple weeks ago, Kirk Herb street was actually making the case that Alabama should be in the playoff over an undefeated Florida state, this exact situation, um, even before Jordan Travis's injury, he was making the case on college game day. He said, there's no way they leave the SEC champion out. He said that. And that was before Jordan Travis was injured. And so to me, like all of the the talking points and stuff like that about like Jordan Travis making a difference in the game, I wouldn't have been shocked if they made this move, even with Jordan Travis is part of Florida State's State's team. Um, Maybe it would have been Texas that got the shaft in that situation. I don't really know. But I, I was baffled. It doesn't make any sense. Um, cause I mean, the truth is that for forever, everybody has said the only objective way that you can make the college football playoff is to be an undefeated power five team and Florida state did that and didn't make the playoff. So I don't know what you can tell them. 
for for me, Kevin, I'll, I'll this will be my last one on this as well. I kind of get the feeling that this is entirely narrative based. Yeah, for the NCAA because it's the last year of the four team playoff. They've kind of dropped the ball at different points throughout it, but they've they've gotten it right. I I would argue they've they've gotten it relatively right more often than not. Having it be the last year before the twelve team playoff, have you seen an instance in recent memory that it has been so blatantly about the narrative and about the dollars? than this particular month because in my mind i view it as that godforsaken team from up north and alabama going against each other versus washington and texas it, it makes it seem like the narrative is being set that the entire nation gets to have one team to root against in the national title game and one team to root for like you're guaranteeing the two and three of texas and washington are going to be considered the the scrappy heroes of the final four team college football playoff against a team that cheated their way. I'm sorry. Use sign information to get an advantage. And then Nick Saban sliding either a death letter or 500 grand to the college football playoff committee to get themselves. It just, I don't know. Does, does it seem more narrative based to you and more about the dollars on this one in particular, or is this blatantly just their love of the SEC? You know, I I don't I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that it is with this move, it is very hard to it's hard to call the people who think that the the ESPN is in bed with the SEC. It is hard to call them crazy. You know, like I just the way that they were talking and you knew if you were if you watched the selection show you could tell as soon as the is as soon as the show started that Florida State was out. The way that everybody was talking, it was like they all got their marching orders about what was happening and they were going to try to soften the blow. Um, like within the first intro of like Florida State was talking, they they said something along the lines of like, you know, obviously Florida State hasn't been the same team since Jordan Travis, so they're going to see if they can sneak their way back in or so. Like it was, it was very weird language, and I know they insist that none of them know what the decision is going to be before it's announced on TV. But the way literally all of them were talking leading up to that decision leads me to believe that um, that is just not true. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not going to feed a conspiracy theory or anything like that, but I I do know that I think it was the wrong decision and sets a horrible precedent because I think people are assuming like this is going to go away in a 12 team playoff. Like that's that's the sort of thing that's like, oh, you know what? It's coming. It's going to 12 teams. It's not going to be an issue anymore. Yeah. What happens, though, when like some very deserving undefeated 12 and 0 group of five team gets left out of the playoff for like a nine and three sec team, you know, like the narrative's not going away. It's just not going to be at the top four anymore. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. I, I do not like that. There is no objective metric to the college football playoff. It is just like people that are very removed from the game, frankly, making decisions. I really did like, I, I, I obviously like the playoff, the four teams, I really did like the BCS formula of determining what teams should be ranked. Um, I thought it was more objective and more isolated because you had two polls and um, 
two poles making up two thirds of it, each making up a third. And then one third was determined by 10, a combination of 10 different computers. And to me, like that is like as objective as you can get. Um, each individual opinion is isolated. I, you know, I would love a collection of computers and the AP poll to determine who should be the, or how it should be seated and everything like that over um, the 12 team selection committee that clearly has biases and each individual opinion can sway a room or um, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like the way that the college football playoff is, uh, is determined. And on that note, we're going to pick this conversation up in, oh, I don't know, about two weeks or so, so we can actually talk about the actual Cotton Bowl and talk about some of the other playoff games. But this has been Mina Midfield Rider along with the comeback and awful announcing Kevin Harris. Kevin, thank you once again for taking the time, and we'll again, we'll, we'll pick this up in a few weeks. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, guys. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Calvert Boys basketball coach John Otterbacher here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Due to substantial growth at Morgan Advanced Materials, we're hiring and want you to join our team. If you're looking for a competitive starting wage, Morgan Advanced Materials has production operator positions starting at $19.76 an hour with the potential of up to $23.91 an hour. Join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Fostoria. Call us at 419-360-9751 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 cents an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Corn Place in Faustoria. Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. This Friday night, we'll have coverage of an old-fashioned rivalry matchup, Tiffin Calvert taking on Hopewell Loudon. You can join Matt Brown and I for that one Friday at 7 o'clock on Classic Hits 96.7 and on WFOB. We're now pleased to be joined by Calvert head boys basketball coach John Otterbacher here in the Frickers Zoom room and coach, let's let's get right into it. You knew, of course, you had a couple key guys to replace coming into this season, including uh, guys like Nick Palm and Lee Morgan. What was kind of the process like uh, for you guys uh, getting ready for the year this time around? Uh, we had a, we knew we had enough coming back that uh, the those couple pieces were going to be tough to fill, but we're we're trying to do what we can to adjust with players playing out of position. Uh, coach, obviously, having some people play out of position, one of the things you do get guys do have coming back um is height i mean you got kevin wagner there in, in the paint once again this season what have you seen from his development around some of these new i don't want to necessarily say new players but uh n- new key contributors that you're seeing out on the floor so far this season um i think we're doing a pretty good job of uh looking into gavin more than we thought we would have last year coming into the season last year he really wasn't even on our radar and he walks in day one of practice and it, we realize he gained, he grew about three inches and it's like oh we need to start playing this kid and i think that the whole team does a good job of getting the ball inside to him and working it around and just sharing the ball all together and i think together as a team i think we are 
being successful that way. Along with Calvert Head Boys basketball coach John Onderbacher here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. One thing I am curious about is with how many teams now are in the SBC River, it really limits the number of non-league games you guys get to play. looks like it's only a handful, uh, really, even if that. How much of an adjustment is that knowing you're going to have to play, you know, all these teams in your league twice, you know, throughout the course of the year? It's tough because you like to schedule – a lot of non-conference competition and we like to go out and try to challenge ourselves and with playing 18 league games uh, you struggle in trying to find just a couple games that can fill in those spots and historically we've been playing Norwalk St. Paul every year and Clyde and Margaret and this year we decided to toughen it up a little bit more and play Ottawa Glendorf. Yeah, and looking at that uh, Ottawa Glendorf game in particular if we can touch on that for a moment obviously Bit of a tough one for you guys uh, coming away with the defeat on that. What were some of the things you saw from your team in that game, even in a loss that gave you some, you know, positives going into uh, the games coming up this week? Uh, We wanted to go in and compete and let people know that we are still a very competitive uh, team and looking to improve. Um, I think some of our execution we needed to work on, but we were down 13 points with five minutes to go against the two-time state runner-up. So I think we're pretty pleased with that aspect of not giving up and continuing to battle and continuing to fight. And I thought we gave Ottawa the best uh, punches we could throw at them, and they just came out on top. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Talking with Calvert Head Boys basketball coach John Otterbacher. And you guys have a senior class that have really done a lot of great things across all the sports they play. Uh, obviously, your son Caden, along with uh, Jacob Brownback and Harry Schultz, the, the main contributors for that. What can you kind of say about those guys and what they've uh, helped to bring to the team over these last few seasons? They're Overall, those all three of those guys are great athletes and great leaders, um, all in different sports as well. Harry being the starting quarterback for the last two years on a pretty good football team. Caden, starting center fielder, starting pitcher of a team that's went to the Final Four the last couple of years. And Jacob, uh, just named All-Ohio running back as well as a All-State 400 runner. So they bring a lot of experience and a lot of leadership and being able to perform at high levels in front of big crowds. And when you look at this team as a whole and talking about just the success that we've seen over the last several seasons, I mean, really, it, I, I can really say it spans decade plus at this point, the consistent level of success at Calvert. Oh, what, what are some of the things that from your perspective you take away as a whole that really has has led to this culture of, I, I don't want to say consistency, that seems like the uh, bad word choice, but like I, I really excellence at this stage. I mean, it's, the, the consistency is that you guys are year in and year out one of the top teams in the area in a variety of sports. And ha- having multi-sport athletes on your team, what, what do you think is some of the secret sauce there? Uh, and you just touched on it, the having the multiple sport athletes, the guys that go in and fight with each other in different areas and then be able to come together. And one of the biggest things that we push is we will not coach your attitude or your effort. So if you're not trying hard, we 
it's hard to put you in the game. And if you have a bad attitude, it's hard for you to get you in the game as well. So those are a couple of non-negotiables that we talk about all the time is not being able to coach those two things. And I think for the most part, the kids have really bought into that and they know that the only way they're going to get on the floor is if they're playing hard and have a good attitude about it. And you got a couple guys that some of them played uh, in spurts last year, but kind of a different change uh, for the rotation. Guys like uh, Carter Wolf and Kevin Ardner uh, getting some uh, significant looks to start the year. What can you say about uh, the development of those guys and what they bring in a slightly different role from uh, from last year? Uh, I think we're looking for Carter to be more productive than he was last year. Last year, he was a good six-man role player. Um, and he's more of a three slash four than just a true wing. So sometimes he plays out of position, but he likes being on the perimeter and he's going to need to continue to rebound and continue to work hard. And, and the more comfortable he gets in a varsity game and that starting lineup, the, the better off we're going to be because that just makes us even more dynamic of a team. And then you throw Kevin in who split some time last year with, JV and varsity and now he's expected to play more minutes and be more of a leader and and continue to guide the team when he's in there and he's just a very high IQ type of player and does a lot of little things right that helps the team out and when you talk about your having players out of position kind of situation I, I am curious from a coaching perspective how much flexibility has that afforded you guys in terms of the you know units that you guys have out on the floor and people that you have out of the floor, the rotations in general, if you really feel like you can play players like from the one to the four and vice versa, uh, how does that, uh, how does that add to your level of flexibility from a coaching and uh, roster perspective? It allows us to be more dynamic throughout the, on the court. Um, a lot of the kids, like you said, can play anywhere from one to four and we can even have Gavin step out on the perimeter, which is a nice addition to his uh, bag of tricks that he's included. Um, it, it allows for a smarter basketball player and one that is able to adjust and handle different stressful situations at different times. Talking with Calvert head boys, basketball coach, John Otterbacher here on the NWO orthopedics sports huddle here from the Frickers studios. And along with kind of looking at the roster construction overall, you got a handful of uh, guys, uh, particularly in that sophomore class. Think of guys like AJ Shoemaker as a guy who, you know, able to play on the JV level and, you know, eventually could be pr pressing for uh, some minutes at the varsity level. Kind of what can you say about those guys that are kind of in that like in between spot between, you know, truly being a JV or truly being a varsity. They're kind of uh, splitting their time. Yeah, uh, like you pointed out, AJ Shoemaker is a very dynamic athlete, um, starting right fielder all last year on the, the baseball team, um, very high IQ basketball-wise, knows how to play hard at all times, very good defender, finishes well around the rim, but if, like you said, right now he's stuck behind three guys that are 6'5". So his ability to be able to get more experience and more playing time on the uh, JV level is going to be huge going into next year and his senior year. Um, you throw in Logan Ritzler, who's probably our best shooter, and he's stuck behind three guys that are bigger, stronger, more physical, more athletic than he is right now. So once he starts continuing to grow and continue to develop, he's going to find time. And so he might be starting to take some time away from starters just because he's such a good athlete as well. So we've got a lot of little pieces here and there that are starting to materialize that's going to help our team down the road. And you mentioned the JV squad as a uh, as quite the uh, purveyor of JV action myself back in my playing days. I I think that's something that kind of goes understated 
in the early stage of the year and as the year progresses, the importance of that for for the fans and audience listening at home in that regard from your perspective at the varsity, you mentioned just gain that experience, gain that time. Oh, what are some of the other things you feel the JV aspect, especially for a guy like Ritzler and maybe to some extent, even Shoemaker and some of the other younger players on your team. What, what are some of those aspects of JV that, you know, for the fans that come in halfway through the third quarter of that game and just like, okay, when's the varsity start that they're missing out on or that, they should be paying more attention to these kids are kids on uh, a normal team or, or half the kids teams in our league would be starting on a varsity team. Um, it, it's allowing our varsity kids in practice to be pushed more that we have such good youth and good younger kids that are pushing and continuing to excel. Um, our JV team is pretty dynamic and we've got multiple kids that can play defense that can shoot can rebound and hustle and it's just they know they're stuck behind upperclassmen that right now are getting the call and they're not and eventually they will start getting their number called and when it's their turn they're going to be happy to take that varsity floor talking with the calvert head boys basketball coach john otterbacher on the nwo orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. Looking ahead now to Friday night. You guys take on a Hopewell Loudon team. Of course, one of the teams you split the lead with, league uh, crown with a season ago. I know you have some games up uh, up before then, but what are some of the things you're kind of getting ready for in terms of uh, what you might see on Friday? Hopewell's a very well-coached, very nice team. They have a true post. They have some nice perimeter players. They have... Evan Kreese probably going to be all Ohio in basketball as well as he was in football. And he's, they've all, they've got length, they've got athleticism, they got quickness. So we're going to have to be ready to counter their quickness and athleticism with our size and, and try to work it around and make sure that we get as comfortable as we can against their pressure. And they're year in and year out, one of the top teams in the league anyway. So we know it's always going to be a game to watch and a game to come see. And hopefully it fills the stands and, with them bringing all five starters back, they are on paper the league favorites coming back, but we'd like to uh, push them a little bit and make them better as we make ourselves better throughout the year. And coach, obviously plenty of questions to be had about Hope Loud on Friday night, but since we are recording this on Tuesday morning, uh, you guys do have a game tonight in this, uh, this week as well against uh, St. Joseph Central Catholic. And I, I am curious, what are some of your thoughts going into the game tonight as to what St. Joe brings to the table, what you've seen from them on tape so far, and what kind of expectations you have for your team going into tonight's matchup as well. Uh, Fremont St. Joe is a very nice program. Um, They've got three varsity starters back from last year. Uh, Yeah, probably three. Um, All great athletes. Uh, Cooper Talika is a dynamic scorer and he can slash his way to the basket. So you have to honor both the outside and the inside game with him. And Clay Stahl is a three-year varsity letter winner and just an all-around great athlete. Then you throw in and they got another, they got a post in there that does well and he's expanded his game. He can step out and hit the threes now. So they've got a a nice three-headed varsity lineup that's going to push us to our limits and they're going to throw different defenses at us and different offenses. So we got to be on our toes at all times.
looking back again at the uh, Hopo matchup for Friday, you, you kind of touched on all the things that they bring, having the true post with Donovan Elmore and then, you know, with Evan Crease, what he's able to do it kind of inside and out and with the with what the guards bring as well. So I guess not to give them any uh, bulletin board material because I know Coach Dury doesn't need any, but what kind of uh, are some of the things you guys are going to need to do game plan-wise in order to uh, come out successful? Just our typical, we're going to want to play hard, um, try to out-execute teams and be solid on the defensive end. Um, it's going to be hard to take away everything that they do well because they do so many things well that we're just going to have to piece some little things together in order to limit their opportunities. And speaking of Hopo Loudon and Coach Jury, uh, uh, no secret, I, he he brings a certain bit of fire to the uh, games night in and night out. And I got to tell you, coach, you, you've rapidly been moving up the ranks in my opinion on that one too, as a, you know, li- li- little bit of a, uh, little bit of a mini Bobby Knight kind of thing. Rest in peace as coach recently just passed on that one. But uh, what, what are some of the things that you take away from a coach like Roger Jerry, who's just, he's been at this for so long. You've been at this for a good period of time. It, it just turns into a fun coaching rivalry, it seems, between the two of you. Is that your sense of it, or how, how do you interpret it? Um, coach Jerry and I go way back. He was actually my uh, high school coach back in the uh, mid to late 90s. So I know all about his fiery antics and motivational ways, if you'd like to call them. Um, and I think both of us are cut out of the same cloth where we expect excellence. We expect high execution and attention to detail. Um, And when we don't get those things, we like to remind our players that it's good to continue to work and continue to battle, but we've got to get better at all the little things in order to get the, the big scheme picture completed. And naturally, you guys are going to be on the road for uh, for this matchup on Friday in Bascom. What kind of uh, atmosphere are you anticipating? Because now you'll have, obviously, this game on Friday, but you were in uh, your own different uh, hostile atmosphere uh, last week uh, up in Ottawa. Uh, to be honest, I like the new gyms, but I just think they're so spread out. I wish we'd go back to the old school gyms where all the fans are on top of you and you get that atmosphere and I'm okay with fans yelling at us. I'm okay. I'm okay with good student sections getting hostile and going at it. Um, I think the new gyms take away from that a little bit, but with the rivalry between Calvert and Hopo Loudon, I think all that is thrown out is going to be a big crowd. Their students going to be awesome. Their fans are going to be dynamic and, the big atmosphere type of games are what you as a coach, what you as a player, what you as a team look forward to. And this is definitely one that will fit that bill. All right, coach. Uh, first of all, I got to say, thank you. I completely agree about the new gyms that are out there. They're nice. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just. It's, they're very nice. Cosmetically. They look nice. They, yes. they get the job done, but I like it when they're on top of you. Like if you can just, if you can feel the crowd kind of breathing on your neck and like when Lance and I are doing a game, I'm sitting there going like, okay, I need to kind of be quiet with what I say because I'm pretty sure the AD can hear every word I'm saying right now. Absolutely that's, correct. That's the type of environment. Uh, I'm glad we're cut from the same cloth. Like you said earlier on that one, using that phrase, that's, that that's a very good point. But thinking about that, Having the new environment, classic rivalry game, Hope allowed in Calvert. It the script writes itself, so I'm sure you guys don't need any additional 
motivation or messaging to the team or fans, but what, what would you say to the fans and to your team for the message for that game Friday night and for tonight's game, as a matter of fact? Um, and this is what the, the stupid cliche that I always go with. We always prepare one game at a time. Um, we look at St. Joe when we focused on St. Joe strictly yesterday. Once we get done with this game, we'll go on to Hopewell for the next game. And just know that every game, every minute that we prepare is always going for the bigger goal, which is the end of year stuff. So we're trying to get better little by little to make sure that we are prepared at the end of the year for a nice tournament run and try to compete for a league title and try to get to a district. This has been Calvert Head Boys basketball coach John Otterbacher. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us. Good luck on Friday against Hopewell. Thank you. See you guys. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Calvert Head girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Findlay. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily Monday through Friday. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end of town and our newest location near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try Watershed Water. Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter a gallon. Try Watershed Water today. For all locations, go to nwwsd.org. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. This Thursday night, we'll have coverage of an old-fashioned rivalry matchup, Calvert taking on Hopewell Loud, and you can hear that on Thursday at about 7 o'clock on Classic Hits 96.7. We're now pleased to be joined by Calvert Head Girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets here in the Frickers, not even the Frickers Zoom room. He is here in the Frickers studios today. So, Coach, thank you once again for uh, for taking the time to come talk with us. Very uh, very much appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, for you, this is obviously first year as the Calvert Head Girls basketball coach. So, what was kind of the process like in uh, in getting this new role? Uh, well, my, I have a daughter that's a seventh grader and a sophomore. So, we've been over four years from when St. Wilman closed. And, uh, you know, I've been watching basketball games every day. And uh, it's just uh, we got a very young team, and we had a, our whole coaching staff. Uh, we had to get a new coaching staff this year, so I went for the job, and uh, and I'm getting it. And I'm excited. We have a bunch of good young players. Um, we've never won a league title in school history, so that's a goal. We haven't had a winning season in nine years, so that's another goal we've set. But uh, right now, our rotation on varsity is pretty much just one senior, one junior, four sophomores, and three freshmen. So we're, you know, we're, uh, you can tell we're young. We look really good one second, and next time down the court, we look like we're a bunch of sixth graders. But that, you know, that's something we'll keep working on. But uh, no, we're excited. We got a game tomorrow against Hopewell and another game Saturday. So four games in six days. This is a tough week. And we played the last two nights, and, you know, we're already a little bit wore out already. Well, first of all, coach, congratulations on getting the job at Calvert. Definitely, uh, Definitely a fun program to uh, work with and be a part of and be a part of that community. Uh, follow up real quick. 
it's okay if there's some moments where they look like sixth graders. I'm pretty sure on a basketball court, I still look like I'm in fourth grade in terms of my abilities overall. So no worries there. But uh, what, one of the things I'm curious about, you mentioned the youth only having the one senior in the rotation during the off season, during the preseason. Uh, what were some of the things that you were seeing from the younger players that have, have you pretty confident in these goals of the winning season, possibly contending for a league title and that you're, that the growth really seems to be there in the early stages. Yeah, that that was the the hard thing with the summer, you know, coming in a little late and uh, our volleyball team going to state championship, was, which is awesome. You know, that's something we're used to. So we have to move a lot of our scrimmages back. And this year we only had two scrimmages in. The first scrimmage, uh, my senior was on a, a college trip. So we, we had to go play Ridgedale with a bunch of young girls and we did well, you know, we, you know, we hung in there. And then uh, the following week we had Cairo. So, the juniors and seniors, the Catholic girls, they go off for a week. So when we had our our first second scrimmage against Arcadia on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we had only actually had all the players for two practices. And then, uh, you know, so coming into this first this first game this, this Monday, we've only had maybe a five, six full practices with the whole team. So that's pretty tough right now. But uh, things are going well. They play their butts off. Uh, they're always on give you – the work ethic that uh, the parents need. But uh, right now we're working hard and we're just, we're learning. It's it's tough for our younger girls to get open without the ball right now. They're learning to move without the ball. And that's the most frustrating thing right now is just the coaches. Uh, we're trying to, every team knows the list of Rishdies are our stud and they're really double and triple teaming her right now. And the rest of our team is having trouble trying to get open. So that's the thing right now I need to work with with our younger girls is just uh, having the confidence that I need them to get the ball, go shoot and score. And it's not a, a one or two person game, but I need six, seven girls out there scoring. So that's what we're working right now is just getting the younger girls to trust me. And it's okay. I want them shooting. You know, uh, they all got the green light to shoot. So it's just trust right now and getting to know each other's strengths. Talking with Calvert Head Girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. You mentioned it when uh, with volleyball and even for the for the golf side as well. Players that you know made state runs in in their sports in the fall. How do you kind of look to transfer that success, even if it is a different sport? How do you kind of look to transfer some of that success into what you're uh, looking to build here on the basketball side of things? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we've had the girls golf team go to state last year and. Uh, Two of my starters play golf, and, you know, Alyssa went back to state this year. So I forgot about that. I had her a week or two later. But uh, the thing is, you know, competition is contagious. And, uh, you know, when these girls on the volleyball team win, they're used to winning. And it shows the whole school something that we can all do. You know, the golfers, they went out there and kicked butt. They went to state, you know, two years ago, and they had a good year again this year. So then they come into a winter sport. They've already had a lot of positives, so – Hopefully the positives from the, you know, the, the early sports will come over to the winter sports and then to the, you know, softball and track. But a lot of our girls right now are playing three sports and we're meeting some of these teams that some of these teams have just these girls that play just one sport and they're basketball players. And that's what we're running into right now. We have a lot of, we have a small school where a lot of these girls play three sports and we're playing some of these teams that these girls concentrate in just one sport, but, uh, which is fine. I like three sports. I want our girls to keep playing three sports, but right now our job is all the coaches is just to, Try to help each other, you know. Uh, we all got to work together as a team. You know, it's tough to with the courts we have, and but right now we're just we're all working as a team, as all the coaches, and trying to get all the girls to, you know, play two or three sports and just fit in. 
And coach, you mentioned your schedule that you've had uh, four four games and six nights. Uh, needless to say, that's pretty grueling for any team, especially a program with new head coach, new coaching staff kind of going into it. What, what can you tell the fans about what that kind of week looks like in terms of preparation, how you guys handle like conditioning, the practices themselves? Because I, I don't think a lot of people really get under the hood or behind the scenes too much to understand by that game three or four that, hey, the girls are upright. That's a win at this stage with how, with how many games that we've had to play recently. Yeah, this is a tough week. Uh, we were supposed to just play three this week, but we got Saturday's game moved to Monday, and we just found out last week. So, yeah, four games in six days is tough with a younger team. Uh, and there's a lot of traveling, too. You know, Saturday we're in Sandusky. You know, yesterday we were in uh, Van Lu. Monday we're in Fremont. And tomorrow we play, you know, Hope Loudon. And uh, they went to regionals last year, so we have our hands full. Uh, we went in Sunday night and had a little optional open gym just to go over some stuff to prepare us. But the thing is with this young team, you know, Monday we came out and played a great game against Fremont St. Joe, a team that beat us both times last year. And we were up 20 at one time, and, we, you know, we ended up cruising at the end and winning by 10, but we played a great game. And then last night we went in there, and we were up by 12 at halftime, and we just kind of fell apart. And we started just relying on, you know, one or two girls to do everything, and we end up losing at the end. So, you know, I think if we don't have that game Monday, I, I actually think we get through that game last night a lot easier. And that's what some parents might not understand is, you know, these girls are young. You know, we had one girl got hit in the face really hard last night, and she was out for a while. We had to make sure she was all right. But uh, when you have these four games, it, it's tough. You know, we have some girls with some injuries, some girls that are sick. We have a practice tonight for an hour and a half. And then we have to get back into it, get ready for Thursday. And then we'll have a practice Friday for about two hours. And we got that trip up to Sandusky for an hour on Saturday. And then we have to play. So it's a grueling contest, you know, a schedule. And these girls, you know, they're uh, scholar athletes too. So they, they want to get grades. Most of our girls get 3.5 to 4.0. So it's tough. You know, we're getting home at 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. And these girls still want to go home and, you know, get the good grades. So. It's tough sometimes as a coach and a parent just putting everything all in one, making sure, you know, they accomplish everything they need to. But that's what we're working on right now, just make sure they're they're getting everything done. Talking with Calvert Head Girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. And you look at the schedule as well, and one thing that's a little bit unique is teams keep coming into the league. And because of that – it means less games aside from teams in the league. So how, how much of uh, how different is that knowing, okay, well, we have to play, you know, all these teams twice aside from the, the few non-conference games. Uh, how much of a difference is that kind of game plan wise knowing, okay, we're going to get one side of things in the first time we see them might be a completely different game plan by the time we see them, you know, a month or two down the road. Yeah, it does make a big difference. We have 10 teams in the league. So that's uh, 18 games out of the year. You know, most teams, you're, you have 12 non-conference games, and you can make some hard games. You can get some easy games in there. Well, for us, we you know, we, we pretty much just play every team twice. You know, now we have Woodmore in our league. They went 21-1 and one last year. Yeah. And they're really good. So our league is senior and junior dominated. It's very it's – a, it's, a, it's, it's a tough league right now. And, uh, you know, so we're – this year's going to be tough for us. It's a senior senior-dominated league. We're young, and all the teams are pretty good. There's four teams that went to district finals last year, and they all returned at least four starters. 
And, uh, you know, and then a team like Gibsonburg, who they went 19-5 and last year. We played them the first game, and, you know, we, we were tied with them 20-20. to They're 3-0 and right now, but they have a freshman girl that came in, and she's averaging 30 a game right now, and she's one of the top freshmen in Ohio. So, I mean, our league top to bottom is just loaded, and there's not there's not an easy night in the league. Every night's going to be a battle for us. And if we don't come ready to go, I mean, we, we're we going to have trouble winning. But if we come ready every night, we, I think we can win about every game. That's the league. There's, you know, I think Danbury is a top team in our league right now. And other than that, there's five or six other teams that can beat them. So day in, day out, it's, it's a battle. And, Coach, one of the things that always seems to help with Calvert Sports in general is just a – I don't want to say a crazy fan base because it, it comes across the wrong way. They are a passionate group. I mean, they they travel for everything like crazy. And obviously the home court advantage that you guys have at Calvert is always the stuff of legend, whether it's volleyball, basketball, any of the sports, really. Uh, what can you say about your experiences so far this season with the fans showing up for the game, showing out for the games, and of course the legendary Calvert student section making their presence felt also. Yeah, it's fun uh, for being, I think we're about the sixth, seventh small school in Ohio for the, the, the sports that we have. It's just amazing. You know, all the kids are playing out there, but the parent involvement is what's it just, I just love over here. You know, I've, I've been in a lot of different schools and to come here and see stepmom, mom, stepdad, dad, it don't matter. There's everyone's there. Grandma's there. Cousins there. Niece and nephews are there. You know, last night at Van Lu, all the family members were there, and they support the kids so much. You know, they, they push family first, grades first, you know, and sports and everything, you know, last, and that's where it should be. You know, uh, Catholic religion comes first over there, which is uh, unheard of in a lot of Catholic schools, but uh, kids that go there, they, religion and school comes first. Schooling comes, or, uh, and the sports comes second, and that's the main thing I love. You know, the, the student section the other night was, you know, the, our student section probably had 60, 70 kids in it the other night, and that really helped. You know, even the away games, when we played Fremont the other night, we had 25, 30 kids yelling, you know, every free throw at the other team. That really helps. You know, uh, the more wins we can get, I think the bigger the crowd will come. But, no, the support from Calvert, just the, the community of Tiffin itself is, is really neat. You know, the town of Tiffin itself is really coming along, but, yeah, Tiffin – Calvert's really doing a good thing with their schools. Talking with Calvert head girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. You mentioned some of it already, you know, some of the tougher losses you've had, you know, including that game against Van Lu last night. What have been some of the big things, both the positives and the negatives, to get from the team early on and say, okay, I see this, I like this, I see this, this I don't like as much. What are, what are some of those big things you've uh, seen from your team so far? Our field goal shooting right now, we're right about 50%. You know, so two points, we're shooting, we're shooting well. Our free throw is at about 70%, so that's great. But our three-pointers, we're going into last night, we were three of 20, which is, what, 15%. I think we were like three for 10 last night. So our threes are not going well, and we're shooting some threes we shouldn't be shooting. Uh, we got the big lead the one time we started thinking we could shoot threes. No, I'm very fundamental. I like the girls running an organized offense and just, you know, right now we're forcing the ball into places. We're uh, we're beating against Gibsonburg. We beat the press the whole game, and then once we get down to the half court, our younger girls they get stressed out and they try to force the thing into our better players. So right now, the frustrating part is is they know what they're supposed to do, but when there's five other girls out there playing hard defense and coming at them, 
they get pressured, and they throw the ball away quicker without, you know, doing triple threat. So right now we got to work more on the fundamentals. Defensively, when we're in man-to-man, we play really good man-to-man defense. We play great help side. That's what I want to do. But even last night, I tried to throw in a, a zone press once or twice. It's just one girl was out. If one girl out of five is out, it makes the whole team, it makes me look pretty bad. So I had to pull that out. And right now, we're just we're trying to learn the basic concepts with straight man-to-man and keeping the you know, spacing on offense. We got some good rebounders, but right now we're just uh, we don't have anyone that's willing to take the ball to the hole other than Alyssa Richie, and every team sees that. So they're taking away her, and last night is the first time we really saw that where the team just basically triple teamed her, and the other girls just need to step up a little more. And that's part of what I need to do too is try to find you know spots to get them in. But we tried everything last night, and it was just they just Van Luke came out ready to play, and they they beat us up that fourth quarter. Coach, you mentioned fundamentals. I think that's something as well that not nowadays everyone wants to see the three ball and the fancier, more, for lack of a better term, acrobatic kind of offenses that are out there and defenses that are out there. I, I've always countered by Tim Duncan won several titles hitting the bank shot for his entire career. Uh, what, what can you say about the importance and stressing the importance of fundamentals in a team sport, especially something like basketball, uh, for a team that's still developing, for a team that's still growing, because you have those younger players on the team, how how much does that play a role in the growth and development of your team as a whole? Yeah, the fundamentals is about the biggest thing in basketball. It's about the biggest thing in any sport, in my opinion. Uh, our fundamentals just aren't there right now. You know, uh, we got good coaches in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade right now. Our seventh grade is undefeated. Our eighth grade is kicking butt. And uh, so we got we're, – we're, we're trained down from the third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade where we need to do. That's where if you want a good program, you got to start with the younger kids. So we start in third grade with the boys and girls, and that's ahead of most schools around here. But right now we're just, you know, hitting the fundamentals big. You know, even beginning of practices, we just work on dribbling and stuff. But right now our girls just don't have much of a triple threat or fundamentals, and that's what we have to work on as a coaching staff. You know, we're working on post moves, boxing out, all the little things every day, but it's all about repetition. You have to do it every day throughout the year for a couple of years, for, you know, for everyone to get it. So that's what we're doing right now, repetition every day over and over and over. And I think they're getting sick of hearing my voice say the same thing. But until I tell them, you know, if you don't hear me getting on you guys anymore, it means you're doing everything correct. So when practices start getting quieter, that means we're doing well. So right now, I think practice today might be a little louder. <laughs> but uh, but that's my job as coaches is, you know, we have to straighten out the things we did wrong. And the things we did wrong last night are things I can correct. It's just fundamentals from our younger kids, and that's that's, that's all it is. It's, it's pretty teachable, but it's just going to take a while. Talking with Calvert Head Girls Basketball Coach Aaron Sheets here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Looking ahead to Thursday night, taking on Hopewell Loudon, as you mentioned, one of the better teams from last season. They made it to the regional portion of the season. What are some of the big things you've uh, seen from them in uh, getting ready for Thursday? Uh, Hopewell's, I've watched them twice now. I've went and scouted them twice. Uh, they got most of their team back, and, you know, they got some. They got good post players. They got, you know, Carly Kaufman and a few other girls that have been starting for three or four years. And that's the main thing with Hopewell is they've been there. You know, Bino Cheese, they have three or four seniors. They got quite a few senior starters, so – Nothing's going to scare them. They're, they're well coached. When they come in, they know what's going to happen. You know, thing I'm going to tell my girls, 
is that they beat us 57 to 12 the first time we played them last year. They beat us by 45. And uh, I was there. I remember it all. And, you know, I still remember it a year later. So that's that's stuff that we have to go in there. You know, obviously our goal is not to get beat by 45. The second time we played them last year, I think it was only like 20 or 25. So they made a huge jump. This year is we need to make it competition. Every game needs to be competition. We need to push these teams. and We, we need to let Hope on Loud know that it's not going to be a 45-point victory. Uh, but all we can do right now is I know they're tough. I know they're going to play a strict man-to-man defense. They're going to, you know, force the ball inside of their big girls, and they're going to shoot some open threes. They're well coached. So we got our hands full. We have come out and probably play about an A, a game tomorrow to have a chance to win. But we can do that because we did that against Fremont St. Joan. We've done that in some of our scrimmages. But, no, we, we have to come out and play an A game to beat these guys, and we know that. So we'll be ready. And with a game like Hopewell Loud, obviously big rivalry matchup. Uh, year in and year out, Calvert Hopewell, I think you guys have each other circled in uh, red and maybe some, like, darts or arrows or stuff like that on the calendar every single year. Uh, what, what can you say the message for the fan base in terms of coming out for that game and really representing and being there for you guys in a good rivalry game against a, just frankly, a very, very good team? In hope all outed. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, I'm going to be talking to girls a lot about that tonight. Just, you know, they get a little bit scared in warm-ups. You can tell. You can tell we have a younger team because right when the tip comes up, they start looking at me like, uh-oh. You know, uh, so tomorrow for all the parents, you know, come. Just come ready to cheer, on, cheer us on. We're young. We're going to make some mistakes. But with a couple mistakes, you know, can come a 6-8-0 run with us. So just stay positive with us. Uh like I said, it's going to be a very tough game. I know a lot of these people from Hopewell, a lot of my friends' kids. I know most people over there. So, and a lot of these girls are friends with each other. They might be enemies on the court, but the second they're off the court, they're friends. So that's what we all have to remember. This, you know, you said the red darts. Yeah, we all do that. But, you know, I have respect for Hopewell. You know, I live in Foster Area. I have to drive through Bascom every day. So uh, there's a lot of kids I know over there. So I love the town. Of, you know, I, I like the town. Uh, the school basketball and Hopewell, and we have respect for them. So, so hopefully we can play a hard game, and, you know, once the game's over, the losers are still happy, and we can shake hands and, and just be friends. But, uh, yeah, for, what, 32 minutes, yeah, we'll be enemies for a little bit, but once the game's over with, hopefully it's a good game we can shake hands and look forward to the second time we play each other. This has been Calvert Head girls basketball coach Aaron Sheets. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us, and uh, good luck tomorrow night against Hopewell. Yeah, thanks for having me. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. We come back, we'll talk some NFL action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Hi, this is Dawn from the Classic Hits Morning Show, and I've just heard that not all roofs are created equal. Is that true? That is true, Don. It's solely dependent on the people installing it. Hi, folks. This is Matt from MJ Brown Roofing Construction Company in Tiffin, Ohio. We're a family-owned company that's been in business since 1936. We're a full-service roofing contractor that have been working on both residential and commercial roofs. So no matter what type of roof you want, we have the expertise and the crews needed to install and maintain your roof for years to come. Call 419-447-5864 for a free, no-obligation inspection and quote today. For over 100 years, iron workers have been building America. Do you have what it takes to be an iron worker? Do you like to work with your hands? Do you like to be creative and solve problems? Do you like to be outdoors and don't mind getting dirty? With starting pay of $18 an hour and with medical and retirement benefits, there are iron worker jobs available in Northwest Ohio. To take your career to new heights, call the Iron Workers Local 55 Training Center at 419-382-3080. 
and build a better future. NWO has news. We are excited to announce the newest addition to the NWO family. Dr. Ryan Tran is a local who was raised in the area, trained by the Cleveland Clinic, and has returned to his hometown to care for your whole family, just like he does his own. Dr. Tran is now accepting new patients of all ages in our Tiffin office. Make your appointment today to experience the benefits of family care by a hometown professional. There's only one place to go. NWO. Saying goodbye to summer is less sad when you realize your favorite fall flavors are here at Bigby Coffee. Celebrate the return of our sweet foam pumpkin cold brew, pumpkin spice latte, and our caramel apple cider. Pair these delicious fall sips with our maple waffle sandwich or pumpkin muffin. Available for a limited time at one of the two Bigby Coffee locations in Findlay, one on Trenton Avenue and one on Tiffin Avenue. Back we are on this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Frickers Studios. ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Cole Classic. 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks as always to Kevin Harris from Meetup Midfield. The comeback awful announcing for joining us along with Calvert basketball coaches, John Otterbacher and Aaron Sheets. If you missed any part of our show today or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com. Click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. We are not physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carrot window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash, download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order. Find them online at Frickers.com. And Matt, let's talk a little NFL action. As last week, we finally got a good uh, Thursday night football game with the Cowboys beating the Seahawks in a close one. Sunday Sunday was more of a mixed bag. The Lions started strong, but the Saints ended up making a game of it. Colts-Titans went to overtime. The Chargers and the Patriots game took many years off my life. I've said it once. I'll say it again. Get them out. Cardinals versus Steelers. Multiple weather delays. That was interesting. Usually that's more of a college football thing. Don't often see that in the NFL. The Dolphins, of course, uh, beat up on the Commanders. Look more like the team they had a little earlier this season, Broncos versus Texans back and forth. Rams knocking off the Browns. The Niners put a hurting on the Eagles. Packers beating the Chiefs. Bengals needed overtime, but they beat the Jags on Monday Night Football. So certainly certainly a lot of things to take in from uh, over the last week in the NFL. Yeah, chief among them is who's actually the best team in the league? <laughs> I have no idea. Right. <laughs> Who's the best? I don't know anymore. Like, I really like, don't get me wrong. I'm happy that there's parody in the NFL. I'm happy to see that all things considered, except the Panthers, that these teams are actually competitive and except the Patriots. And that just warms my soul in a way I can't rationally explain (laughs) to anybody. It just it makes me feel better that the Patriots just absolutely suck this year. But like, I can't tell who the best team in the league is. This has become one of the most bizarro years I've seen. I mean, you look at teams that were incomplete, you know, we're tanking for Caleb Williams. And I think some of these teams watch Caleb Williams play, but like, never mind. We're going to try and win kind of situation. And they're doing it. And I mean, I look at teams like the Cardinals and the bears who just looked dead on arrival coming into the season. And it turns out they're, not really that bad but they are bad and then there's teams that everyone thought were going to be amazing like buffalo and seattle who maybe they are bad 
Tyreek Hill's going to get 2,000 yards, I think, next week at the pace that he's going. But is Tua really the guy in Miami, or is it just a product of the system that Mike McDaniel's running? Are the Eagles legitimate contenders, or did they get that way just because they didn't have to play Brock Purdy, who evidently, except for the Cleveland Browns, is like a god killer of a quarterback? So I don't know. It's a weird year in the league. It's just a very, like, there's so many teams bunched together for this stage of the season. I've really never seen, like, when you look at those in-the-hunt stages for postseason play for both conferences, I can't recall a year in recent memory where it's been that packed right at the top. Like, there's really, I, I don't think there's much of a difference between, I'll use my team, for example, Tampa Bay, at what, five and seven? I believe some somewhere in that ballpark or like six and seven, somewhere around there. I don't think there's much of a difference between them and a team like the Texans or the Colts who are seven and five, or even the Jaguars who are, you know, eight and four. It's like, I, I, it's hard to really grade what's going on in the NFL this year. Cause it just seems way too balanced and it's, Again, can't make heads or tails of it. A lot of fun games, though. It's made for a lot of really fun games this season. I mean, in terms of the teams that are the best, I think NFC, if they're healthy, I think it's the Niners. I think they've proved that with some of these wins. I mean, big wins over the Eagles and the Cowboys, and they're two of the top contenders. I, I think that's one of the few things I can definitively say I know is that if the Niners are healthy, they are one of, if not the best teams in the AFC, the chiefs are good. The Ravens are good outside of that. It's a whole lot of teams in the middle. I mean, some weeks the Browns have looked very good. Others, not so much. Same thing for the Steelers. And now they're going to be uh, on, uh, on Mitch Trubisky for a little bit after uh, Kenny Pickett gets hurt. I mean, it's, you mentioned the bills, the bills have had their own share of injury, misfortune as well that certainly hasn't helped uh helped their case i mean jets got their own injury a uh, bad luck when aaron Rodgers gets hurt four plays into the season i mean i don't know the numbers obviously but it just seems like so many teams that are bad or you know more in the middle of the pack than we might have thought they were going to be so much of that is just injury luck and if the teams have had it or not uh, yeah, the injury thing's been a real issue this year. And I, I will go ahead and maybe say something a little bit controversial on this one. I, the safety issues and the injuries that we've seen, I feel have really stemmed from a change in how the game is played in terms of tackling. I mean, yes, concussion safety, CTE safety, head and neck safety and awareness are vital. This is not to diminish that at all. But at the same time, when you take away those like harder collisions or the more contact-based collisions to try and switch to, you know, the hip drop tackles that you're seeing a lot of, how many players have been lost this year from a hip drop tackle because they're just getting rolled up on? It's, you're having a lot of injuries that are occurring and it's, I don't know. There, there's a small part of me that thinks, yes, the safety and the precaution necessary for concussion awareness, head and neck safety are vital and are super important. 
There is a trade-off, though, that you're ending up having a lot more drop tackles that lead to a lot more lower body injuries that I feel are also just as detrimental. It's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to gauge, but I do agree with you. I, I think injuries have played a huge part in the luck or that lack thereof for most teams this year, unless you're Cleveland. Lose like half the team to injury and somehow they're still in the playoff hunt. Makes no sense. If someone were to ask me to define the Cleveland Browns season, I would probably throw back two or three shots of Jack Daniels and say, I don't know. And just leave it at that. But no, this, this year has been interesting in terms of top teams. Yeah. 49ers look good. But then they also lost three in a row. Right. Yeah. And they didn't lose three in a row to super top tier teams, I guess I would say. So how good are they really? Philadelphia's lost a couple in a, a couple as of late. Dallas is one Dak Prescott bad moment away from being Dallas again. Also, they have Mike McCarthy. So how soon does he blow things up on them? And you look at the AFC, the last four weeks, there's been a new number one seed in the AFC every week. So you have that going. You have the injuries. You have just chaos across the board. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to take some credit where credit's due. I call the Texans being a good turnaround team this year with Demeco, Ryans, and Stroud. I had no idea they were going to be this good. Like, th- this is a whole new ball game. I didn't think the NFC South would be this dog water this year. And had you told me, even with Mac Jones and the lack of any real wide receiver, that the Patriots were going to be the second worst team in the NFL this year, probably would have laughed at you. So I don't know. It's again, it's really tough to kind of gauge. I do think injuries play a part in it. Um, I do think the NFL needs to figure out a happy medium between the, for some of the people out there, what they call the good old days of like the old Jonathan Vilma, Ray Lewis type of tackling and hitting and Ed Reed styles of tackle football versus what it is today to try and find the middle ground to prevent lower body injuries and also maintain concussion and head and neck awareness but yeah it's i i think right now only two teams are mathematically eliminated and i, I really i think so i just won i think it's just carolina i, I still say, think i think new england, I think, I think carolina is the only one that's officially already eliminated yeah i'll say i still think new england even with the second worst record in the nfl mathematically can still get into the playoffs i mean it's again just a weird weird year in the nfl and some of the people that are spiking, having great seasons versus bad seasons, that with how bad the commanders are, I'd have no idea that Sam Howell is leading the NFL in passing yards. And it's like, God, who would have thought that'd be the case? So, I mean, it's it, it's just a weird year in the NFL. It's made it fun. It's made it really fun to watch and pay attention to. But at the same time, for any like prognosticators or predictions, it's like, never mind, just throw in the towel. Don't Don't even bother. I mean, it's like you, you think of some of the teams where the narratives have flipped in one way or another could be for various reasons. I mean, the Broncos and Raiders are the two of the ones that come to mind immediately where it's like they were down pretty bad at points in this year. Obviously, the Broncos had 70 scored on them. The Raiders had everything going on with Josh McDaniels. And now suddenly they're both not that they're going to both make the playoffs, but they're both 
in the hunt at the very least. And you wouldn't have thought that, you know, a month or so ago with how kind of down those teams were. And I mean, we've talked about injuries already, but I mean, the Colts, obviously with Anthony Richardson, even with that, they've still managed, you know, to, to pull out some of these games. Trevor Lawrence now goes down with an injury on Monday night. We don't know exactly how long he's going to be out for. And then, I mean, NFC, I mean, everyone kind of, you know, penciled in the Niners, the Cowboys, the Eagles. There were there were some people that were up on the Lions, and they're, they started off the year, obviously, with the win against the Chiefs, but then they came right back down to earth not too long later with that tough Ravens loss, and then they look kind of out of sorts in that game on Thanksgiving, and it, there's just so many teams where it's like just kind of wild, ro- almost roller coaster type uh, rides so far this season. Yeah, and you know what I mean? I think the Raiders and Broncos are a really good example of that. I do agree with you. I mean, the Raiders, they were they were a borderline sexy pick for like a wild card team coming into the season with getting, um Jimmy Garoppolo, Josh McDaniels apparently having his guy, having Devontae Adams, kind of having the team built up the way they wanted to build it up. A very good draft, a draft where the Raiders didn't Raider it. And... By Halloween, Josh McDaniels is looking for a new job. It looks like their season's going to crater and fall apart. Antonio Pierce comes in, which I didn't even realize Antonio Pierce was on the coaching staff there. And he's probably a legitimate candidate to be their head coach going forward. I, I certainly would pick him. I think the Raiders need to pay attention to their players. If they're responding to this guy, they should probably keep him on going forward. And then the Broncos, I mean... God, what a disaster they were with Hackett last year. They bring in Sean Payton. Seems like it's going to be a repeat of that disaster. And all of a sudden they're competing and winning games in a good gritty fashion. Very Sean Payton-esque kind of teams and team that he has there. But another one you brought, the Colts. I think that's a phenomenal pick in terms of seeing how the injury bug can both help and hurt you. I mean, you got a few weeks of Anthony Richardson where you feel, hey, this guy really is the quarterback of the future for the Colts. He gets hurt, but at the same time he gets hurt, Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor both come back, and they're able to still win with Gardner Minshew. So it's, again, the the injury bug and injuries on in the NFL are always something you got to pay attention to, and it always becomes the next man up type of thing. But this year especially has really been that next man up mentality. I mean, who would have thought that Puka kid for the L.A. Rams would be second in the NFL in receiving yards? That's because Cooper Cup was hurt and they needed to throw it to somebody. It's that I mean, just the this entire season, you've seen a lot of, like I said, the injuries, narratives kind of get turned around and changed on the fly for some of these teams. And it's it's really led to an interesting year. I think you mentioned the NFC as well. I, I think that's kind of going chalk. I, I think most everybody had it be Eagles, Cowboys, 49ers, and then probably the Lions, like you were talking about. I think most people assume that the Saints and Buccaneers would kind of play it out for the NFC South. Atlanta being up there is a bit of a surprise, but not really. I think people expected the Giants to at least be average. Well, the Giant the Giants are average because they have an average quarterback and Daniel Jones they gave $140 million to. They are completely average, but they're another team injury-wise. I mean, 
lost two of their linemen, then their starting quarterback, Saquon Barkley, has been in and out of the lineup. It's Don't get me wrong, I think they're a really bad organization. I don't think Daniel Jones is the answer by any means at quarterback for them. But I will say for the Giants, I think they get a pass this year just because it's how do you how do you cope with that many injuries? I mean, Cleveland is absolutely the X factor here between them and Indianapolis, where they've had these critical injuries to key players. And they're still winning. I don't think any of the other teams out there that have had injury issues can really say the same thing so far yet. So it's, it again, just kind of goes to show, like you mentioned, how critical those injuries have been and how much that factors into how lucky some of these teams have been and how close the year has been in terms of parity. And then this coming week, lots of good games. They definitely don't start on Thursday because it's Patriots Steelers. If you watch this, you have a gambling problem. I'm just going to flat out say that. First of all, first of all, <laughs> it's not a problem. It's a solution because it's Mitch <laughs> Trubisky versus Bailey Zapp. Bailey Zappy, that's a fine. Who cares? They're going to get someone else in the draft next year. That's Bailey Zappy is the most lame duck quarterback in the NFL right now. And that's saying a lot based on who the Raiders have under center as well. I was gonna say, <laughs> Tommy DeVito would like a word. Tommy DeVito is a national treasure. You watch your mouth when you talk <laughs> about Tommy DeVito. That's the pride. Of I mean, Jersey he's, right he, there. he's, he's no Desmond Ritter. He's not. That's very true. But all, all came aside that Thursday night game. I kind of want to watch it because that has the potential to be. It's so ugly. It might actually turn out good. Just, just calling it as is. these are two absolute dog water teams right now with their sket with their rosters, even though the, the Steelers are somehow winning by the sheer grace of Mike Tomlin. Now, I, I kind of want to watch it. There's a small part of me that wants to watch it. Kind of like when you drive past a car accident on the highway, you slow down, you kind of look at it. Kind of the same attitude there. So thank you for confirming you, in fact, have a gambling problem. On it's <laughs> not a problem. I have a solution. But for everyone out there, you absolutely take the under in that game. It's not a debate. <laughs> but as far as Sunday, we have a handful of really, at least games that could be really good. Uh, Colts, Bengals, Jags, Browns, Rams, Ravens. Rams have been playing a lot better as of late. Broncos, Chargers could be interesting. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows with the Chargers? Seahawks, Niners again already, even though they just played on Thanksgiving. But we also got Bills, Chiefs, Eagles, Cowboys, and then two games on Monday with Titans versus Dolphins and Packers versus Giants. And uh, I got to imagine the uh, Eagles, Cowboys, Bills, Chiefs uh, among the uh, top of your list for what you want to watch. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that's not even a question. I mean, I'd throw Seahawks 49ers in there, too, just to see if Seattle can get the better of San Francisco after seeing them just so recently. Um, Yeah, honestly, there's some pretty good games out there this week. I I am curious about that Rams game, too. I'm after the game against Cleveland, I kind of had to sit there and think if the Rams are contenders or pretenders type of situation. And I want to see what they can do. I want to see what they can do against a healthy team because they've been on a nice little run here. I want to see if that trend can continue as well. Uh, Dolphins, I just want to see how much they can roll up on them. Uh, Watching the Miami Dolphins is like watching a video game at this point. So I'm just fascinated to see what that score could end up being. 
But yeah, in terms of actual like good, gritty, classic NFL football, you absolutely want to watch the Chiefs game and that Cowboys Eagles game. I mean, those go without saying that those those are definitely the games to pay attention to this weekend should make for the best games overall. And uh, honestly, should also help determine a lot of the you know contender pretender talk that we have in the NFL right now, because we're three weeks away or four weeks away, excuse me, from the postseason. And like I said at the start of this, I can't tell you who the best team in the NFL is. I can't even tell you who the best five teams in the NFL are right now. So this weekend should be the start of, uh, you know, kind of clearing out the clutter a little bit in terms of who the top dogs are in the league this year. That'll just about do it for us here tonight. Big thanks to Kevin Harris for me at midfield, along with the comeback offline announcing, along with Calvert basketball coaches, John Otterbacher, Aaron Sheets for each joining us today on the show as well. Again, don't miss our coverage of high school basketball coming your way over the next few days. We have Hopewell versus Calvert on the girls' side on Thursday, then have the boys' game on Friday, then a doubleheader on Saturday, Van Buren taking on Liberty Center in girls' basketball, and then we'll have Fostoria girls' basketball later on that night when they take on Maumee. For my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Morris signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. Catch you in the next one.